16, and that's where we'll be uh, today. So before Chris comes up to preach, please guide us. Good morning. Um, as Lance said, we'll be in Romans 15, 13. Um, so it starts off, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay, let's pray. <sighs> Father, you've given us so much to hope in, and I confess that so many times I demand more proof. So I pray, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. Give us hope when, we, when our lives are more characterized by suffering than triumph and despair. Help us to see and wrap our hearts around what Christ has already done, even if we don't understand what we're doing. Be gracious to us. Fill us with hope that we might rejoice, that we would continually give you the praise that you are worthy of. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Zurchers. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who may not know me or might be new to the Grove, my name is Chris. I'm the associate here. I'm grateful to be before you this morning. So Advent, right? Um, how many, if you can show me your hands, how many of y'all have participated in your church experience like in a purposeful journey through Advent? Did you put your hands up? Okay, maybe like half, right? So for me, I didn't grow up in a church that really celebrated Advent with much purpose. Like we looked at the things of Advent and of these different words like hope and joy and peace and those kinds of things, but we never really took a, a, a purposeful journey toward celebrating the birth of our Savior. And so if you're like me, and, and that's maybe unfamiliar to you, Lance did a really great job already this morning of kind of painting the picture for what Advent really is for us and why we do what we do and what the wreath and the candle represent. But let me just remind us again, if we've forgotten already, that the really simple and basic understanding of, of Advent is that we are celebrating this coming of the Messiah through the birth of Jesus, right? So there's this, this posture of waiting, and there's this posture of anticipation on this arrival of this baby that is going to come who is a child and yet a king. And so that is kind of the overarching theme of what we're celebrating and what we're looking at here in Advent. And what I think is important for us is that while we wait and we long in this season for the Savior to come, um, we, we find ourselves in uh, the midst of this tension, right? There's this already, but not yet. And so if we look for a minute in the Old Testament, we would see that, that Israel was awaiting the coming of the Messiah, 
And then after the last prophet, there was this period of 400 years where God was silent and the Messiah had not yet come. And so we've um, now here where we stand today are in this midst of waiting, not for the Messiah necessarily to come, um, although that's what we're celebrating in this season, but we as believers are waiting and longing for the second coming of Christ and for our eternity with him, right? And so it's in this tension that we find ourselves today where it's this already but not yet that we're kind of looking at and we're, we're celebrating. We're, we're waiting with longing and we're waiting with angst and expectation for Jesus to come, but also we're awaiting this long, we're with angst and longing and expectation for our eternity with him, for him to come again. And so here we are in the middle of these two realities, in the middle of this tension, and I wonder um, where we find ourselves today and what we find ourselves waiting and longing for. I think if we looked intently in our hearts for just a moment, we'd probably realize that it's really not hoping in Christ. And that's what I hope to talk about today and to help us understand better what this word hope looks like and um, what we ought to be celebrating in this time as believers. And so um, just to kind of give an illustration to this, if you guys know my middle son and I asked permission to use his name and to tell this story, and he was all excited about it. But if you know James, um, James is in love with like all things electronics. Even yesterday, my wife had made some cookies for some small businesses around the city of Richmond for the city of Richmond. And we were out delivering those yesterday. And we were in this antique shop in old Rosenberg. And my son found this section of this antique shop that was all kinds of old electronics, like tape decks and record players. And he was just like eyes wide, like super excited. But over the last couple of weeks, he had this opportunity at school to um, reach some benchmark goals that he had and to earn a $10 prize off of this list that they had given him. And so knowing James, he went all in for whatever was on there that was electronic or digital, right? And so he found this MP3 player. And I know you're already thinking an MP3 player for $10, probably not that great. It wasn't, but he was waiting with hope and with anticipation and this longing for this MP3 player to come in. He reached his goal successfully. He was rewarded with this MP3 player. He had to wait for a couple weeks for it to arrive. He got it home. We pulled out the computer, and then I taught him about Napster and pirated music and all the things that we, you know, as most of us probably in here, as we watched the digital age of music kind of come alive, um, we taught him about those kind of things. We plugged this iPod in. We're trying to download some appropriate music uh, on the little mp3 player we get it unplugged he plugs his headphones in and hits play and what do you think happened <laughs> nothing right and so this hope this like climactic moment for him of like this is gonna this is what i've been longing for and waiting for and it did not work and he tried lord bless him in all his power and might to figure out how to get that thing to work but couldn't do it right and so it led to good conversations ultimately about like where we place our hope and about like actually spending some decent money on good things so they last and not just trying to fulfill our immediate needs or desires that we think we have and just buying whatever's right in front of us, right? And so it led to some really good conversations, um, but it made me think like we do this all the time, don't we? We place our hope in things that ultimately on this side of heaven wind up letting us down. And so this story, although silly and kind of goofy, I think is a microcosm for like the bigger story of our lives and where we most times misplace our hope. And so uh, we misplace our hope in things like people and things and circumstances, 
um, in governments or in school boards or in the medical field or in doctors or um, in our job and in our boss, students, you might place your hope in things like friends or relationships, or you might place your hope in things like a projected image online, right? Or you might place your hope in the college that you're hoping to get into and attend, or you might place your hope in the sports team that you're on and reaching some goal of a college athlete or a professional athlete or whatever it might be. And so I think the picture I'm trying to paint is that we all place our hope in a thousand different little things, if we're honest. Um, have any of y'all read or heard of the show or read the book Lonesome Dove? It's a younger crowd in here. Okay, some of you. Okay, so for those of you who don't know what Lonesome Dove is, you've had plenty of time to figure it out. Go read the book, go watch the shows, um, do all that. But it reminds me of this moment in Lonesome Dove. There's three characters at play in this story. There's Gus McRae, who's like this kind of lead actor, cowboy in the movie. Um, there's Jake Spoon, who's another actor. And there's this woman in between the two of them named Lori. And Lori has this longing to leave Lonesome Dove and to go and to like um, live in San Francisco right? And Jake Spoon, who Gus McRae describes as a little bit of a scoundrel, he's wanting to take Lori and sweep her off and take her out of Lonesome Dove and to where her heart's desire is in San Francisco. And Gus tells Lori this about Jake. He said, Jake has always been too leaky a vessel for anyone to put much hope in. But then it goes on and Gus says to Lori, but then again, all vessels leak to some degree. And so when you think about where you and I are placing our hope in this season or in the grand scheme of our lives, where you and I are hoping for things will work out a certain way, or you and I are hoping that whatever it is that we're putting our hope in will satisfy us and satisfy this aching and this longing that we have in our souls, or that it will deliver us some good thing, the reality is that all things on this side of heaven will leak to some degree. And if everything leaks hope to some degree, then the question stands, who or what are we going to truly find and place our hope in? So if you think about the word hope, in the Old Testament, there was two words that the Hebrew language used for hope. One was yakal and one was ka'av, okay? Um, and those words both have the meaning of weight, but the word Kava, I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Kava has this picture of this string or this rope pulled with tension on the verge of snapping. And so when we see that word being used in the Old Testament, that picture of waiting is like this longing expectation for that thing is about to snap. There's like, you're expecting it to just break at any moment, right? It's kind of that picture that we find in the Old Testament for this word of hope. And then we get to the New Testament and the Greek translates this word to the word el peace, okay? And el peace has the same meaning and root as kava. It's this waiting with longing and anticipation, this angst, okay, for something um, to happen. And I, th I think if we think about the word hope in our day and age, usually we, we're saying things like, well, we hope that the rain comes, or we hope that the in-laws leave soon, or we hope that the turkey and the overeating that we did over the last week, that these pounds will just... Uh, shed off. Uh, we hope that we'll get this promotion at work or whatever it is. We hope, we hope, we hope, right? We use it all the time. And then the scriptures use this word that I just described to you over 200 times, this longing and waiting. The other thing about the word el peace is that it wasn't just this hopeful expectation for something. It was a hope that was actually found in God. 
And that's the distinction that I think we're trying to make today as we continue on. We can see this. Um, Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, when he says this. And the verse should come up behind me on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. But it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Here it is, to a living hope. Look at that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this word el peace in our verse today of chapter 15 of Romans verse 13, that word used twice for hope, it describes a hope that is expectant based on Christ's sacrifice. It's a hope, um, the hope that the world teaches us is really more like optimism if you think about it. And optimism is like choosing to see that in any given situation that circumstances could work out for the best. But the distinction to make here is that biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. What Peter is telling us here in this verse of 1 Peter 1.3 is that a living hope that com- is one that comes through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what is biblical hope? It's a living hope that finds its focus in a living and a resurrected Christ. We see in Scripture throughout the Old Testament that as Israel would look back at God's past faithfulness, that it would motivate their hope for future events. And then we look forward now in our day by looking backward and trusting in God's character and His proven faithfulness over time. And that's where we find ourselves. But the other important distinction for us to make is that biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it almost has this expectation that it will happen, and it not only expects that it'll happen, but it has this confidence that it will happen. And again, that's because we look back at God's faithfulness, and if our hope is in Him, then we can trust that His promises will be fulfilled to return and to bring us into eternity with Him, right, as He's promised. And so let's look at our passage today in Romans 15, 13. And you're probably wondering, holy cow, was that just your intro? Yes, it was. We're in a season of longing and waiting. You'll be okay. Um, I've, I've cut about a thousand words out of this thing. So um, we'll, we'll hang tight. We'll, we'll get there. But before we get to our verse, let me give you a little bit of, of background on the book of Romans before we get to um, verse, verse uh, 13 of chapter 15. So Romans 1 through 11, Paul is outlining this sort of like bedrock of theology for us. He begins to talk about all of us being condemned by God, but but this good and gracious God has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. He talks about the promises that were given to Abraham. And in chapter 5, he talks about justification. In chapter 6 and 7, he talks about sanctification. In chapter 8, he talks about glorification. Then he talks about God God calling people unto himself, and he's just laying out these foundational truths of salvation for the believer. And then in chapter 12, he turns the page a little bit and starts to talk about how these truths aren't just some dusty ideas on a shelf, but they're actually um, being worked out in our lives. And, And if you were here last week, Jason did a great job of leading us through the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, talking about living a life that is one of mission and on mission. 
But Paul continues as he explains uh, this in chapter 12 and 16. And so when we get to chapter 15, the first 12 verses, Paul is laying out the promises given to the Jews and Gentiles. And he basically ends the letter here with a prayer for his audience, a prayer, I think, for us as the church. So he laid out this beautiful picture of all that God has done for us. And it's almost like in this verse, he kind of sets down his pen and he tells us his hope for his audience, his hope for the church. And he says this in verse 13 of Romans 15. May the God of hope, that's el peace, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So the first thing I want us to see is right at the very beginning of that verse that may the God of hope, he is our source and our supplier of hope. God is our source and our supplier of hope. So God in in nature and in essence is not just the author of hope, but it's who he is. So biblical hope, remember we said, is not based on things like um, circumstances or even probabilities. Like I think I have a good shot at this promotion or I I think if I put my my money away in this 401k at this interest level that it's going to grow into this certain kind of nest egg for me in the future. And those things are good, but ultimately if we're putting our hope there, it's going to leave us disappointed. So whether our hope is placed in a person, whether it's put in a place, or whether our hope is placed on a system or a thing, we have to understand that with God it's different because biblical hope, like we've already said, is banked on his promises, not on, um, not on probability. And so Paul in Titus says, tells us that God can't lie. And so because that's true, when God promises something, we can trust that he will keep it. So when he says things like his son is going to return, his son will return. You really are not condemned in Christ Jesus. These are true. You really are forgiven and cleansed. You really will be reconciled and made new. And so the apostle Paul says, may the God of hope, may the one who authors hope, may the one in whom hope is sourced, may the origin of hope, may this God of hope do what? Fill you with all joy and peace. So we're not to the joy and the peace candle yet, so I'll save some of that for that time. Um, But it's important for us to look at, when he talks about joy, he's talking about this idea of an inward satisfaction of our soul. And that inward satisfaction of our soul kind of wells up with delight, knowing that we are his sons or his daughters And so then this joy that's coupled with peace, this peace that he's talking about is an inward settledness of the soul. It's a rest and a contentment and an ease of soul that comes with the Spirit. There's a New Testament scholar by the name of Leon Morris who said this, and this should come up behind me as well. Joy relates to the delight of anticipation in seeing one's hope fulfilled. Peace results from the assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. So when Paul is talking about joy and peace, he isn't talking about a personality type. He isn't, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the evidence of the Spirit working in your life and in mine. And then he continues by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing So what Paul is saying throughout the book of Romans is that although we are condemned, that God has made a way through his son, who we're celebrating the coming of Christ, right? He has made a way through his son to reconcile sinners. 
So this, this part in this verse, in believing, is you and I putting our belief and our trust, our confidence, and our hope in the one who has reconciled us, the one who died in our, in our place. Remember, let God's past faithfulness be something that motivates our hope for the here and now and for the future. And then Paul goes on to, say, to transition a little bit um, after the comma, and he, he tells us why he's praying these things for us when he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this verse 13 here is bookended with um, the idea of hope. It starts with it and it ends with it. And Paul is saying that the God of hope is longing for you and I to abound in hope. So how does this happen? How do we abound in hope? I don't know where you're at today, but as I was thinking and praying this week, I'm like, this is, this is really difficult. Um, this is really difficult to think about what it looks like to truly abound in hope. That, that word abound um, finds um, its root in the Greek of having a definition of um, like super abounding, like an overflow and abundance of hope. And so what does this look like uh, for us? And I think that um, we find the answer in this verse. It's the cyclical nature of what we see transpiring, transpiring in this verse is that Paul is praying that we would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy and peace, this inward satisfaction, this inward contentment of soul. And then as these things happen, that you and I would have a growing desire and an abundance of hope in the Lord. And as you and I have a growing desire and abundance of hope in the Lord, that it's producing in us, that's producing in us more evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And so it continues on in this way. It's cyclical in nature. So the good news about the one who is the source and the supplier of hope is that we read that he has an abundant supply of it. So God has an abundant supply of hope. I don't know about you, but this is good news. This is good to hear in a season that is going to inevitably draw us into busyness and into heartache. Um, maybe you're dealing with the loss of a, of a family member and, or, or the loss of like parents. Like this season is hard for our family um, just because of some of the things that have happened in our family story and, and, and you're dealing with loss. And so the holidays aren't always great and cheery. But if we're placing our hope in the right places, we can walk through with purpose and with intent focused on the beauty of the Spirit and what He's doing in us, trusting God all the more. So we are all in need of true and lasting hope. The good news for us is that God has hope for you that isn't rationed out to you, but it's provided to you lavishly, and as we see here in this verse, in abundance, super abundance, an overflow of His nature so as hope grows in you and I and, and wells up in you and, and spreads in you and he has more hope for you. And if you find yourself in a place where hope feels like shriveled in you today or non-existent, um, be encouraged that the God who is the source and the supplier of hope um, and who gives it abundantly, he sees and he knows, right? And you're not alone. He's a God who's near. So Paul pray, Paul's prayer here in this verse 13 and my prayer for us today, and I pray that, that we would be truly a people of hope who find an abundance of hope by our dependence on God. And so as we wind down today and we, we kind of get ready to close, I want to talk for just a minute about two like applicational things that maybe we can walk away with um, from a morning like this morning as we enter into the season 
of longing and waiting and journeying toward um, the coming of Christ. And the first question I would ask you is, what would it look like for you or I to increase the amount of time that we're in the scriptures through this Advent season? So for some of you, that might be you never crack the Bible open. Um, For some of you, that might be you read once a week, once a day, whatever it is. Um, what would it look like for you to bolster that a little bit in this season? So if you don't read your Bible at all, pick it up, open it, start with once a week, right? If you read your Bible once a day, maybe you go to twice a day, maybe you go to three times a week, maybe you go to a full week every day, twice a day, whatever it is, right? What would it look like if we started to become people that prioritize the scriptures in a way that our hope is so rooted in God and what he's done for us that we're not buoyed by the ups and downs of seasons like this or, the, or just life in general, right? What would it look like? And the second one, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time here and then we'll, we'll be done for this morning. Um, what would it look like for you and I to identify some of the sources of our hope that were, where it's been misplaced? What would it look like for us to identify some of the misplaced hopes that we have? What I think is um, true of us is that ultimately we, we place our hopes like we've talked about in all kinds of different things, right? Um, but the root of why we do that is because in, in our hearts we, we idolize some things that we, we shouldn't, right? We put some things in place of God that maybe shouldn't be there. And so I have four things, and they'll probably come up on the, sc- uh, on the screen, and we'll, we'll talk about them one at a time. But there's these four source idols, and these are not something I came up with. Keller has written and talked about these. Many pastors have written and talked about these different source idols of our heart that where we place our hope in these things, and it leads um, to places that are not honoring to God usually. So the first one is comfort, right? So what I mean by when we place our hope in comfort. Comfort is um, we all live in the suburbs. Most of us live in the suburbs, right? And so the suburbs were designed for comfort, right? Like we don't even have to wait in the Chick-fil-A line, which is the most efficient fast food line on the face of the planet because now we can order it on an app and we can go sit in the driveway and then just walk in and grab it and come back out, right? Like we, we, we love comfort, we love things to be easy. We want life to go the way we want it to go. We, we want to enjoy the good life. And again, there's nothing wrong with these things. But when we put our hope in comfort and then the demands and the stress of life come against you and I, we start lashing out at people, become really angry on the road. Um, if we put our hope here, ultimately we can kiss joy goodbye in our life. Right? Because our hope has been placed in us finding comfort in the things that this world has to offer, and we will be let down. Let's keep moving. The second one is approval. So what does this look like? Somebody who might put their hope in approval uh, might say that I, I can live my life in such a way where people will like me or even love me or approve of me. And when we put our hope here and the stress and the demands of life slam into a person that maybe has their hope in approval, we're going to constantly be anxious. We'll constantly wonder, did I do enough? Did I, not do too, did I do too much? Did I blow it? This is exhausting because we will never find the approval that we desire, and therefore, we won't find peace and joy either. So this one's true of me for sure. I've struggled with the idol and the, putting my hope in approval uh, for a long time, and, and it's just an exhausting thing, right? Because we're never going to truly find the approval that we want through people or through um, groups of friends or whatever it is. Um, students, like this is, this is the life y'all live right now, right? Everything is about like, how do I fit in? How do I, you know, not like even conversations in our own homes. Like how, how do I not rock the boat with these people? Because I've got friends and I don't want to lose them, but they may not be the best for me. 
um, when we're placing our hope in, in approval, it's going to lead us to lives that are lacking peace and joy. The third one is control. So if you're a person who um, put your hope in control uh, or in your ability to control the world around you, if you're the person who sits in the passenger seat of the car while somebody else is driving and they don't go when the light turns green immediately, or you're wearing out that imaginary brake pedal on your side because somebody's not driving the way that you would hope that they would drive, not that I know anything about that. Um, but that is maybe some, some example of how we have maybe placed our hope um, in controlling things. And so what I would say is that when we put our hope in control and then the stress and demands of a fallen world slam into a person who's put their hope here, we get lonely, we struggle with worry constantly. So that's control. And the last is power. If we put our hope in power, this looks like someone who wants success and influence. Um, so, okay, I'm just going to say this. If, you, if you've not watched The Princess Bride or Nacho Libre, you need to do it because there's references, there's references to those two movies in particular in this church for its history every Sunday. Thank you, Amy. Um, but often enough that you need to go watch it. You've had plenty of time to watch Nacho Libre, so I'm going to throw a quote at you from Nacho Libre. Who has not seen Nacho Libre? Ah, oh, anathema. <laughs> um, so in Nacho Libre, you have Nacho, right? So sorry, my mouth is dry. You have Nacho, who is um, wanting to get into this life of becoming a luchador, which is this wrestler that wears a mask, right? And he's got a partner, Steven, um, or Esqueleto, right? And him and Esqueleto are um, fighting and they're losing constantly, right? And so um, Steven has this idea of like going and finding this special magical eagle. It has these eagle eggs and then they drink and eat the, the yolk and the eagle eggs and it's going to help them become better wrestlers. And so they go and they do this and, and Nacho scales the cliff and gets the eagle egg and eats it and he comes back and they lose again, right? And in the scene, they're in the locker room and he's leaning against the sink and um, this guy comes up and hands him his little envelope of money for his fight and he takes the envelope, and he looks at Stephen. He's like, those eagle eggs were a lie, Stephen. He's like, I don't want to get paid to lose, and he throws the money. I want to get paid to win, right? And so he wants to get paid to win. This is like maybe he's put some hope in some power, right? He wants to either the power of the eagle eggs, or he's put some hope in his own power and ability to become this great luchador, and so that um, illustration didn't land like I thought it would. Um, <laughs> but anyway, all that to say that we put our hope in power, and when the stress and demand of life in a fallen world hits us in the face, it leaves us feeling angry or like a failure. And inevitably, this is going to happen for all of us, right? We are going to fail. And so I don't mention these things in an effort to try to like make us feel more anxious or to make us feel insufficient or, or to stir up anxiety in you. But I do think it's important for us to self-reflect and do the hard work of kind of looking inward at our hearts and seeing where we've maybe misplaced some hope in some things that drives our behavior or drives our devotion um, to the things of God. And I think that if we can do that and turn our hearts toward Christ and his care for us, we might be able to experience the actual joy and peace and things that he's promised. So I'm going to close with this. In this Advent season, my prayer is that we'll wait with purpose, that we'll wait with longing and expectation, that we'll be a people who look back at God's already demonstrated faithfulness, then that will help us look forward to his promises that are yet to be fulfilled 
like the coming of a child who is yet a king or the second coming of Christ taking us up into eternity with him. My, my hope is that we would look back at his faithfulness and we'd be able to see the promises that are yet to be fulfilled and we would live with this expectant and not just expected but confident hope in a God um, who has done all things for us and drawn near to us and drawn us near to him. And so that's my hope for us this morning. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, who's reigning and ruling here and now over all things, we, um, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the fact that we don't have to wander around this earth that has fallen and broken without any kind of hope. And not only do you give us hope, but you supply it in lavish and abundant amounts. And when we are lacking, you have more to give. And when we're full, maybe, you have more to give. And so, God, I pray that we would hear sermons like these and that we would walk away changed and that we would walk away with true and a lasting hope placed in a God who has already demonstrated his goodness and his faithfulness to his people. We've already, we, we get to live in a beautiful time where through the scriptures, we already get to see promises made and promises fulfilled. And so our hope and our longing and our journeying through this Advent season is not with wonder and mystery as much as it is with confidence. And you're gonna do what you already said you're gonna do because you've already done what you said you were gonna do. And so we can, we can thrive earth in relationship with you with hope and with joy and with peace because we can have confidence in your already um, proven faithfulness. And so God, as we um, get ready to sing and worship again through song together, we pray that, um, that you would be glorified and brought much honor in our worship. In your name we pray. Amen.